I'm Luke Simmons. And I'm Seth Trout. And we are here to critique the hell out of culture. Good to be back, Seth. I missed you. I was out of the country. Our producer was so excited because we found out that there was some downloads of the podcast from Turkey. Oh, wow. Turned International out, reach. Turned out it was me <laughs> listening uh, to your conversation with Brian Arnold. And uh, man, that was really helpful last week or a couple weeks ago, whenever that was. Yeah, uh, it was great. I was grateful to have him out. You know, he's a friend of mine. He's a real sharp guy and he loves the church and loves God's people. And it was great to get to hear from some of his expertise. Yeah, I imagine that probably some people listen and went, oh, Luke's not on there? I'm not listening to this one. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if that was somebody out there, go back and listen to it. It really was helpful. I, I thought the just kind of interest, I mean, we know so little about kind of the early part of church history. I mean, so many of us know little about church history at all, but especially that early part. So that was that was really helpful. So I'm glad you were able to do that. Yeah, it was kind of him to drive out, you know, Redemption, or not Redemption, Redemption Gateways in the Southeast Valley and Phoenix Seminary's on Shane the 101. And so when I invited him out to our studio and he said yes, I was like grateful for it. I yeah. was gonna, I was gonna give him a gas card, but I figured <laughs> Phoenix Seminary can afford that. So yeah, he can he can, he can be okay with that. But these days you, you might need a gas card. Um so what are we talking about today? Today I'm thinking about attention, stress, safe spaces. Mm. Uh, I think about the way that different folks in the world are approaching emotional discomfort good thing bad thing something to be avoided something to be embraced gosh and there's so much emotional discomfort all the time all the time the more we know the more we see the more invitation to emotional discomfort i was thinking i don't really watch tv hardly ever unless i'm watching sports Mm -hmm. and so march madness has been on so the tv's been on more than usual and we were watching march madness game and jay wanted to go for a walk and so we went for a walk and we came back and the game was over and the news was on and it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You hadn't hadn't watched the local news in a while. I haven't watched local news in a while. And it seems like, you know, the whole line, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. That's still true. So that they have not found a different way of thinking through how to get people to keep watching, but you keep people scared and watching, they keep doing it. And it, it does feel like we're in this attention economy is what they call about it. That, that the, the money follows what people keep looking at and keep listening to. And people look and listen to things that they're emotionally attached to or emotionally connected to either positively or negatively. You have negative emotions, you're attached to it. You have positive emotions, you're attached to it. And so that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's interesting how what is like really difficult for someone to experience isn't necessarily that difficult for someone else to experience. Yeah. And I, I even think about just, I mean, this is sort of a silly example, but you know, with four kids, there's different movies and you go like to one kid, it's like terrifying. And to another kid, it's funny. And it's like that, like watching the same thing and experiencing it just totally different ways. Yeah. It's kind of like when my two and a half year old grabs a dog and he yelps and screams. Uh, the, the two and a half year old or the dog? <laughs> uh, the two, the dog yelps and screams and the two and a half year old laughs. Right. Yeah. Two very different emotional experiences. Same event. <laughs> That's true. So, so there you go. But even it's, it's controversial now you read, there's this book called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt, which describes universities and this kind of safe space situation where we can't really push on people. It also is brought up by the phenomenon of students as customers who are paying customers. You know, a long time ago, I don't know how long ago, but a long time ago, students used to go to get pushed on to be formed. You know, we're the concrete, they're the molds. 
That's why you go to school. But now students are customers with rights who it's kind of the Burger King is education. Have it your way. Uh, even like from school choice from a young age, it's if you don't like this, we can go somewhere else. If you don't like this, we can go somewhere else. Arizona has like most school choice of anywhere in the world. I don't know if that's true at all, but it sure seems <laughs> like it. You can fact yeah, check me on that. There's a lot of great school choice options here. Yeah. And well, and it feels like that even bleeds into the workplace. Yeah. And the gig economy where people are less connected to the workplaces, average careers now in certain places last two to three years. And so there's more opportunity than ever to run from your negative emotions or run from your painful emotions or run from your unsettling emotions. And how much of that is good? How much of it is bad? Obviously, folks who are in like capital A abusive environments can get out, which is good. And other people who just need to be parented by like their own emotional process, uh, they're never really gritting or growing and that's not good. And so it, there's not like a one size fits all answer, but that leads to this whole idea of triggers. I can't scroll through my Facebook feed without seeing a lot of my friends say trigger warning. And then they post a long thing about whatever happened to them. And mm-hmm. so everyone's kind of aware of other people that they can be triggered. Uh, they can be set off. Yeah. And it's almost like if you trigger someone, it's your fault. There's, it seems like there's less responsibility on the triggered person to ask, why am I triggered? Yeah. But this idea of carving out safe spaces, I don't think anybody thinks safety is bad. Like it's why we have a military. Yep. That's why we, uh, you know, lock our doors. We put on seatbelts. Nobody's like safety is bad, but at the same time, there's this idea of safe spaces. And when are those environments helpful? When are those environments not helpful? Uh, and what does the Bible have to say about this emotional tension that seems to be everywhere? Good thing, bad thing. Yeah, well, even that word tension, I think, is really interesting because it seems like, you know, the Bible wants us to grow spiritually. And it seems like you grow through pain and you grow through tension and you go through difficulty, you know, responding through and to adversity. Um, but it also is like, you know, we're not to go around inflicting pain on people in the name of, well, this is just going to help them grow, right? We are called to a kind of compassion and um, a, a, an empathy and a seeing thing through people's eyes and experiences. And we don't want to inflict damage unnecessarily. You know, but then you look at Jesus and it's like there's times when he's pretty pain inflicting for someone's good. There's other times when he's very tender and compassionate and doesn't say much at all. And um, it does seem like, yeah, there's probably more wisdom needed than rules. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I think about even when it comes to training and athletics, uh, I remember someone talking to me. So I do CrossFit and saying, uh, I, I hurt my shoulder. It was like kind of out of whack for about three months. And I knew it was bad when I was reaching across my body to change the radio station with my left hand. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I should probably go see this because sure. it was no longer like if it hurts at CrossFit, it's like whatever I can work through that. But if, <laughs> but changing the radio, I can't handle that. I, <laughs> yeah, so I was like that lifting my left hands, carrying my right hand to push the buttons. I'm like, oh, I'll go see someone. Yeah. And so I met the physical therapy guy and he goes, so I just don't want you to do anything that hurts. I was like, I'm going to need you to give me more guidance on that. (laughs) Right. The whole point of exercise and working out is you, you're not growing unless it's hurting. You're not. Yeah. What is hurt? What is injury? What is good pain? What's bad pain? I feel like so much of even fitness and trying to push yourself to your limits is learning to not listen to your body Mm -hmm. because your body's saying, stop, stop, stop. And you're going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Right. And that's like how you grow, how you get better. But at the same time, at a certain point, that's destructive. Sure. And counterproductive. You even see about this, like I've, I watched this award ceremony for the NBA. Dirk Nowinski came out 
and he had a long, very good career, and he's not an old man, and he came out and he was hobbling, yeah, barely able to walk. It looked like his knees were just shot to pieces, and it's like he just every step looked like excruciating. So at some point, even being exceptionally athletic is actually destructive. Mm, like sure. when you're fit, when you're too fit, you're actually harming yourself. Like it's unsustainable. Yeah. There's like the, so there's like a medium, a medium amount. Yeah. Of so push so, so when we think about these kind of you know painful experiences or uh, emotionally disturbing things, it feels like there's I mean there's multiple ways that people tend to do it that might not be really embracing the tension but that is just kind of overly doing it one way or the other. What, what are some of those? Well, I think the stereotypical one is, you know, the, the leftist university student or professor who uh, would be recognizing or seeing uh, people's unhelpful emotional states or processes and can't really make sense of what's going on. And the big portion of that is you have this idea of like trigger warning, safe spaces. We're not going to push on people. And you create kind of these learning environments where there's buzzwords that can't be said and you're shaping this environment where there's this inability to be exposed to something that's going to uh, cause you to be internally conflicted. And this is, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, trying to help people who are very easily disturbed by things. Yeah, and it's understandable. Like there are certain things that based on your history, past experience, you should not go around just willy-nilly exposing yourself to like if there's certain forms of trauma or assault that you've experienced watching a movie about it's probably not going to be helpful because it's for other people it's hypothetical or it's out there but for you it's reminds you exactly of your childhood or what you grew up in and yeah and it's a huge deal we even did this uh, with our staff we did this environment working through domestic abuse situations it was a training from hope women's center that came out and did this training for us and we told our staff hey this is going to be very close to home for some of you know your limits yeah. If you're not ready to kind of do hypothetical domestic abuse response stuff, like just let us know and don't come or spend time praying the next two weeks and be prepared to have an emotionally difficult time. And so, so it's not that like all trigger warnings or safe spaces where I'm not against that, but at some point you have to ask the question, is that beneficial or not? And so one extreme is this kind of like, Hey, I need to do whatever I can all the time to make sure that nobody could potentially feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and someone in that environment can say, I am not responsible for finding environments that are beneficial to me. The world around me is responsible to making environments that cater to me. And so rather, so it's kind of, it's a responsibility reducing because it's going, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not the one who needs to find and establish boundaries for me. Actually the university needs to do it on my behalf or the workplace needs to do it on my behalf or Uh, So it's really like I can't really be the one to be in charge of my well-being or future growth. I need administrators to do it for me. And so that's this kind of more like the idea of like the nanny state or the -hmm. the university as babysitting just other kids. And so that's that's where I see the problem on that side is like the diminished responsibility. Well, the irony of that is for the person who just will never like – they have to be protected at all costs. What it does is it actually puts everyone else in the position that person doesn't want to be put in. Yes. Of uncomfortable all the time, walking on eggshells. Did I say it right? Did I not? Did I? There's, there's multiple and, and SNL so there's skits a, about this. Yeah, there's a just irony of like going, my need to be to feel safe is going to make all of you feel unsafe around me because you might do something 
intentionally or unintentionally that is going to make me lose it. Yeah. And, and I think I've interacted with people who are in that position and when they're self-aware about it, it's not as bad. They're going, I know what I'm asking for and I'm just a fragile person right now. And I, I'm working through it. But in the meantime, here's the support I feel like I need to not like be a total basket case of a person. Yeah. And talking to folks like that who are going, I acknowledge the burden I'm putting on other people. I acknowledge that this is actually because of my non-health that I need this additional support. Then it feels like, okay, I'd love to work with you. But when it's like this, how dare you not read my mind and not know exactly what's going on on time in this like threat of litigious action yeah. that undermines it all and this nervousness about that. So that's, that's on one side, it's a big problem. On the, on the other side, there's like this huge rise in Stoic philosophy, especially among non-religious folks who... Well, I bet you see that a lot in the CrossFit world. Yeah. Because my, you know, dipping my toes in the CrossFit world over the years, there's a lot of like real appreciation for that. It seems like Silicon Valley, there's a lot of, like I listen to Tim Ferriss's podcast from time to time. He's huge into the Stoic philosophers. Yeah. And Stoicism, I mean, if you talked about somebody describe their personality as Stoic, that's usually you're saying they have low emotional affect. Like their, their highs aren't high, their lows aren't low. They're kind of pretty even. And sometimes that can be a positive to things. Sometimes it can be a negative thing. You know, when you're at a funeral for a loved one and you're stoic, there's probably something wrong. Yeah. Right. But if there's chaos and disorder and you're relatively stoic, that can mean that you're sober and you're ready to act. So, again, it's not a one size fits all answer. But even guys like Jocko Willink, who are a couple of books that I really like. Uh, one of them is uh, called Extreme Ownership, but his whole ethos is discipline. He's a former Navy SEAL, right? Former Navy SEAL. Uh, he's 50 years old. He. If you follow him on Instagram, which I did for a little bit, it's like every morning at 4.36 yeah. in the a.m. He takes pictures of his watch up before the enemy, you know. And, <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, some enemies wake up at 4 a.m. Bummer, dude. But anyway, so you look at him. Like, if you look at his, like, profile picture on Twitter, you're like, yeah, that guy would kill me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, you know, like, I'm glad those people exist and they're on our team most of the time. I know they're not always on our team, but. Uh, well, and we need people like that to help the rest of us get a little tougher sometimes. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason why he has this massive platform. He's writing books about resilience for kids. Like this guy does, doesn't have a degree in elementary education, doesn't have a degree in early human development. He's a Navy SEAL. And I'm going, I don't know if he's like the parenting guy you want shaping your heart, mind and soul, but at least reveals like this desire that's in the marketplace, this pent up demand for help me raise resilient children in a world where everyone's telling them, you know, if you have a bad emotion, that's someone's to blame and some, you're a victim. Mm -hmm. And so he's writing these children's books about how to be a resilient kid. And, but he, he has this like phrase, it's just good. You know, did you not get hired? Good. More time to work on yourself. Did you, uh, did your wife leave you? Good. More time to work on yourself. Did you know that bomb drop in your area? Good. More time to problem, like time to problem solve. Did you, huh. you know, not sleep well last night? Good. There's an opportunity, a day to get more resilient. And so literally just sells shirts with his face on it that says good, huh. which is basically like, it's not just like positive spin, but it's basically like this hyper responsibility that in every environment, in every situation, no matter what the main answer is, what am I going to do about it? And there's not really this ability to be like a, a well-rounded human who's receptive and interested and curious about emotional process. And well, obviously, that feels real different than Jesus, who, right? I mean, they go, Lazarus is dead. He doesn't go, good. Yeah. Here's, good. A, chan Here's a chance to see me raise him from the dead. Yeah. Even he's though that's exactly what he's going to do. He goes, he weeps, he cries, he, he 
grieves. Yeah, there's ordinary human emotional process that's not shamed or seen as weak or yeah. and it's also not coddled like they don't hide bad news from jesus because i like, oh, don't want that guy to have an emotional reaction yeah uh, and when you're in survival mode when you're a navy seal behind enemy lines when you're at war your adrenaline system tends to override your emotional processes and you you survive right and so one of the problems that we find is that if people spend time in that survival mode all the time they're just existing making it, making it, making it. They tend to develop burnout, addictions, like sideways behaviors. Uh, they have trouble maintaining and making and maintaining relationships. And so that kind of like way on the left versus way on the responsibility side is I think the dominant two ways we see our culture responding to it. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of rooted in this idea of like, how do we make sense of our tension, our triggers, our, our feelings of unsafety? And one of... so. so- can I can I just ask you kind of autobiographically? Yeah. So you didn't know I was going to ask you this, but I did not. Um, I remember. I don't feel safe. <laughs> I remember in one of our <laughs> first conversations, you said something to me along the lines of like, when someone tells me you're probably not good enough to do that, that's like my favorite thing because then I can respond to the challenge. Like I like people telling me you stink, like, um, which I was like, oh, that's. That's good because that means like I'm thinking like oh good he's not a he's not a weenie, um, and yet I would bet uh, more than half of the sermons you've preached at Redemption Gateway have in some way alluded to um, emotional self awareness, a kind of elevating emotional life the emotional life of Jesus or our own emotional life kind of paying attention to that, and so and I you've told stories you know, about your dad, the basketball coach, who was kind of the tough guy and, you know, put a salt tablet on it, kind of a, you know, suck it up kind of person. Um, Not to overly kind of characterize him. But uh, anyway, so I just, I see in you this kind of like, I see both of these things in play. And yet, knowing you, I also get the impression it wasn't always that way. Yeah. I definitely... Could you share a little bit of like, and I'm not saying like, well, you're at the arrival place. If we all just were like Seth, that'd be... You know, there, there it is. But I see both things at work in you, right? There's a toughness, there's a grit, there's a resilience, and there's a tenderness and a softness. I think people who are hurting oftentimes uh, feel more comfortable going to you than sometimes I would think they might because of how kind of gritty you are. So anyway. I think in my natural disposition, the Jocko Willing type, suck it up, buttercup mentality just feels a little more natural to me, partly because I really like feeling in control. I really like feeling in command. And part of that is good. God calls us to subdue and have dominion. And he gives us a plot of land and says, have, subdue it, have dominion over it, be fruitful and multiply, play the cards you're dealt, that type of mentality. Even a lot of like the Proverbs and the way they just talk about doing what you can, God gives you talents, you make the most of them. And that high responsibility orientation is I think something I'm just more naturally inclined to. Partially, I'm inclined to it because I think of my family of origin. I think partially because you taste the fruit of hyper-responsibility and you're like, well, it's nice being effective. It's nice sure. uh, getting things done. Like I, I think, I remember when they said at ASU that they were going to raise tuition. I was like, I was a sophomore going to my junior year. They said tuition's going up. This was like post-2008 type, the rollout of yeah the implications of that tuition was going to go from 
like 5,600 a year to like 9,300 a year. Oh, wow. And I went and looked, what's the max? And so I just took 26 credits one semester and 24 the next semester because I was like, I don't want to pay the tuition. <laughs> yeah. And I got to get done faster. And yeah. was, and at th- that point, my now wife, who I was dating, was living in UVA, and I was like, I'm not like keeping myself from the family. It's just you kind yeah. of, you, you buckle up and you get it done and you, right. you get yourself done. And so I do feel naturally inclined to that. I do remember feeling incredibly confronted in reading John and John 11 in particular mm. of Jesus moved from his gut and weeps in just a simple phrase, like be like Jesus. And I'm going like, I, th- I w- kind of think about growing up. I internalize the message of be like Jesus as mostly about abstain from mm. certain bad sinful activities, okay. sins of commission. Right. Yep. There are things you do that are bad things. Don't do those things. Be like Jesus. And that is part of being like Jesus. Yes. But that was like the, the sliver of it. Whereas like discovering the category of sins of omission, hmm. like the inability or unwillingness to do the things that Christ would do, that's sin. It's So sins of omission, uh, it's like more like the book of James, justice, loving the, the, the outcast, the poor, and weeping. Like the command to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, to be emotionally connected to other people's emo- like yeah. emotional process. And in particular, probably around ages 23, 24, which I don't think is coincidence that that was the first year that I was married, the first couple of years I was married. Uh, yeah. Just feeling confronted by the spirit of like, here's a whole category of a way that you're not like Jesus hmm. that you hadn't even considered yet. So kind of, there yeah, you go. And sure. So, Working through that, I think that's been a big process for me. It's still a process for me. I, I don't think um, I'm, I'm done with that process. And so probably part of the reason I spend, like you said, about half, which I'm surprised how high that is, makes me go, maybe I should hit some other drums every now and then. <laughs> but but that is partially feeling like the need to preach myself some of those things. Yeah, sure. And pro- kind of assuming that a lot of people grew up in similar, though not the same environments as me. Yeah. As far as the permission to be emotionally affected or even like the command to be emotionally affected because mm-hmm. I, I remember even hearing teaching growing up that God doesn't command emotions because you can't command emotions or emotions are just these passive things. Yeah. And I'm like, well then what is weep of those who weep? That sounds like a command. <laughs> sure. That involves an emotion. And right. so even if you can't, unless you're like a trained actor, you can't just cry and command. I do think part of that is you need to do the work to be able to do this. Yeah. I think for me and a lot of other folks, there's this need to, get in touch with wounding or patterns of connection and, and defense mechanisms that make us afraid of crying that makes me able then to weep with those who weep where I would otherwise wouldn't have. So yeah. it's less about commanding the emotion of the moment and more about the requirement to do the work, to be able to obey that when the time comes. Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I see the rubber meeting the road on this is how do you kind of shepherd yourself through those difficult emotional times like how do you go like what are the times when you go you know what I need to um just fight through this like I gotta I gotta keep going and one of the times when you're like you know what it's too much I need a breather I need to watch a game I need to disconnect I need to you know not be in the situation and when it's like no you need to fight through so I find that like just shepherding your own heart is a place and then it it happens a ton as a parent especially once you start getting you know adolescent and teenage uh teenagers where it's like okay what are the times when 
I just need to get down into the hole with my kid and understand it and not try to put a silver lining on it. And when do I need to go, hey, suck it up. Let's go. You got to be tough. You know, um, there was a, we were in Disneyland last week and um, mostly it was a great time um, until we went to the Haunted Mansion. And uh, we got to the Haunted Mansion and we weren't even on the ride yet. And Hank was crying. <laughs> Because he was so scared. And he's like, I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here. I don't want to do this. And I said, buddy, I understand. But sometimes the only way out is through. Mm. And we got to go through it. Like, <laughs> there's no way. Like, I literally can't go back up the elevator and get out of this. Like, we have to go through it. Right? So one of the times when you go, hey, the only way out is through. And one of the times when you go, the way out is out. You know, and figuring that for yourself, for your kids, um, that's a, that's a challenging thing. Well, especially when there's not a clear right or wrong. That's where I think we, we in the evangelical world tend to have real good categories of, uh, like evil, not evil, not evil, you know, good and evil, mm -hmm. right and wrong. But that huge category of Jewish, Jewish literature of wisdom, folly, and there's not a clear right and wrong. A lot of situations, there's just based on what you know and based on experience, try to do it. Well, and even like really, really painful situations. Like I, I was listening to an interview with a guy who's kind of the head of the psychology, clinical psychology at Columbia. And he was saying, you know, not, he said we should refer to events not as traumatic events, but as potentially traumatic events. Because yes. people can experience something and not necessarily respond with a traumatic response. But, uh, and yet someone else might, right? And and, and so even that to go like, you know, just because you experience something doesn't in, even inherently tell you how you should feel about that experience. It's just a potential experience. And, um, you know, a lot of times if you're talking about, you know, potentially traumatic events, you, you don't have control, right? No one goes, okay, I'm going to now decide to have a trauma response to this. They just do, right? Um, yeah. And so there's, there's times when you don't have a great deal of, like, control over how you're feeling about a situation, how you're interpreting a situation. Well, even the way that he reframed that <coughs> idea of trauma is, I think, really, I really appreciate it. One, because it's it gives dignity and responsibility. Even if in the moment you're kind of, there's like you experience this loss of agency in hindsight when it comes to the progress that you need to make, it gives you responsibility. And I do think it's really important that in our current cultural norms, we describe events as traumatic. Oh, that was traumatic. Or that is, like we tell other people what was traumatic or that doesn't seem traumatic. And people tend to, when they're evaluating their own histories, are going, was that traumatic? Was that not traumatic? And that's a less helpful question. Mm. We should ask, like, was I traumatized? Because then you are not trying to judge the event, but we're trying to just be aware of my response or my experience of the event. This guy named Vessel Bandercock, I think is how you say his name. It's Dutch. He wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score. And he shares a story of these two kids who both witnessed the Twin Towers collapse on 9-11. And one of them, like, they're same distance or essentially the same distance from the towers. Uh, They're both in their strollers at the time that the plane hit. Oh, wow. So young, little young, kids. Young kids, probably like four or five, like, and walking around a ton. And one of them saw the plane hit and jumped out of the stroller and ran around the corner with his mom to, like, hide from safety. Okay. The other one, same distance from the event, tried to get out of the stroller but was buckled in and couldn't. And so it was stuck in the stroller looking at what was going on. Essentially, they, they experienced the same event 
which was a terrible event. But one of them had the experience of agency, meaning I can get out of danger when it comes. And one of them had the experience of the loss of agency. Hmm. I can't do anything when danger I'm comes. stuck here. Yeah. And so one of them was traumatized. One of them was not traumatized. And that was, he was giving an example of the way that you make sense of what's happening around you is actually what trauma is. And so Kurt Thompson, uh, a neuroscientist, he talks about how there's really kind of two big things that make something traumatic or not. One is like the feeling of absolute overwhelmness and two is the loss of agency. And so there are times where people experience very terrible things, but they do so without necessarily being overwhelmed and with maintaining the sense of agency, like the, the power, the ability to act. And it's and like, that, and I, I want to say here, like that doesn't necessarily mean they're like morally superior. Yeah, it certainly doesn't. It's just sometimes that's you, you don't have a traumatic response to a potentially traumatic event. Yeah. And some of the most like emotionally, morally weighty people I know, like they have these like core memories that were traumatic to them that they're still having to process through and work through. Yeah. But part of what makes them emotionally healthy people now is not their absence of past trauma, but actually their self-awareness regarding how past things are affecting them and shaping them and they're working through it and they're, yeah. they're pressing into it. And that, that makes me think about uh, biblically this word discipline or training that we see it pops up a handful of times. I just want to talk about it because it really can be in two cents. Like when we think about disciplining your children, there's kind of two ways that you can be talking about that. Sure. There's correcting problems, but then there's also just raising adults. Yeah. Right. Like teaching your kid to brush their teeth and get dressed and comb their hair and eat food. That's, that's a form of raising disciplined children. Like sure. we, we do our homework, we go to bed on time, we wake up on time, we do the yep. whatever it is. That's raise. So it's part of disciplining your child. That's not really correcting anything as much as it's just, raising a grown-up mm-hmm. and there's other forms of discipline which is you you did the wrong stuff and now there's consequences and you discipline the child and we think about even the way that god disciplines us a lot of times we think about being disciplined as god's children we tend to think only in terms of moral correction but sometimes there's just growth and development it can be discipline or it can like it can be discipline in the sense of getting out the negative things or it can be discipline in the sense of fixing the immaturity. And so yeah. immaturity is not exactly a moral problem, but sure. it is a, a developing problem. And so this idea of like discipline in the scriptures, we see this a couple of times. I've read a couple of verses real quick and then I'll talk about them. So one is first Timothy four, seven, train yourself for godliness. So we're training could be a discipline. Sure. Yeah. Like there's developing. So that's obviously like there's godlessness or ungodliness and you're developing godliness, training for godliness, training, Again, I think inherent in that term is this idea of tension, uh, intentionally exposing yourself to strain, yep. uh, pushing yourself to the limits. Yep. Like that requires effort. Uh, that's an athletic metaphor that you never get better if you stop when it starts to hurt. You never get better if you start like stop when the burn starts. You got to keep working through it. Um, Hebrews five fourteen talks about um, they have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Hmm. This is like the development of good instincts. Yeah. So you could talk about disciplining as a way of being present to seeing and experiencing various things. So that's more of like a development thing, like discernment, developing discernment. Um, you know, a child not having discernment is not a moral evil, um, but part of growing up is developing discernment. Like you, you learn what foods to eat, what foods not to eat, yeah. who to trust and not trust. Um, Hebrews 12 again, for the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, 
but it leads peace and fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Again, well, there's more hmm. that training word. Is that discipline word? Is that more corrective? Like the, I guess it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Like the well, so corrective at, discipline is painful yeah, and look, the training discipline can be painful. Yeah. Looking it up in the lexicon, it's gymnastics exercises. Hmm. Actually, like literally in BDAG, Brown Driver, lexicon. It says, commonly used in literature of gymnastic exercises in the nude. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thanks for specifying in the nude. We didn't yeah, need that well, that's, there, BDAG. But the whole, the whole point of that is you have this, like, that's the way the Greeks and Romans did it. So To make it, it less comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And But that, like, was the way that they exercised. So it was just literally physical development yeah. discipline. So it's not talking about disciplining uh, in all the contexts in the history of the culture, it's not talking about like discipline as like punishment. Sure. Meaning someone committed a crime, you discipline them. Mm-hmm. This is talking about discipline as developing training, athletic. Process. You know, it's interesting you say some of that because when I when I miss about sometimes people ask me, "Hey, do you miss playing baseball?" I mean, it was a long time ago. I don't get that question as much these days, but sometimes people ask, and I go, "You know, what I miss actually is the conditioning training." Um, and I hated it. It was the thing. I mean, if you said, like, hey, you can get rid of one aspect of playing baseball here, it would be like that. It was terrible. But um, the mental toughness it created, that sense of, like, being able to keep pushing through your limits, the way that that kind of cascades into other areas of life, um, you know, the reality is most of the time, you know, this is why a lot of people do CrossFit is because, it's like, someone's going to make me do something that I could not make myself do. Um, oh, there's even a season here where I was writing workouts for the staff because we have a little a little gym mm-hmm. in there, and I just really wasn't getting better. And partly of that was because I was writing the workouts. Yeah, and you're always kind of protecting yourself when you write workouts. You know, like uh, this will hurt just enough, right? But then you see workouts that other people wrote for you, and it's like way stinking harder than the th- workouts you write for yeah. yourself. And that's just part of the deal. Well, that's such an athletic thing. I mean, I think it was Tom Landry of like you know. I'm going to make you do things that you would not do so that you'll do things that you would not do. Yeah. Right. That kind of, that's, that's part of the training and the discipline. Yeah. Even that training can be passive and other like in negative, like you can be trained problematically. And mm. so second Peter two talks about, uh, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They have hearts trained in greed. Huh. So in this situation, you have a heart that is constantly, giving in to the wrong temptations and it's actually training it's making your heart it's developing your heart you're building yourself into a type of person and that's the idea of like nobody becomes you don't become hitler overnight yeah you train your heart in a certain way over years and years and years yeah and that's interesting that idea that we're not really neutral we're constantly being you know formed or deformed or reformed but like that we're kind of in motion there yeah. Something's being something's training us. And Dallas Willard talked about that. He said, "There's no such thing as spiritual formation. There's just spiritual reformation, hmm. because everyone is either being deformed or formed positively all yeah. the time. And hmm. and there's just that whole reality. And so I think the Bible is pretty positive on pressing into tension, on doing the hard things, on working through it. Uh, it doesn't. It's not prescriptive on timeline." which I think is one of the things that it, we, it's important for us to recognize is that the time spent for people to develop, like most of these metaphors we get in the New Testament and in the Old Testament for people grow, growing are like horticultural. 
like how plants are growing mm. and like people talk about watching paint dry it's like like watching <laughs> like watching a tree grow right you're not very entertained it's not fast right even if you think about like in in terms of human body like if you're trying to add muscle it's very slow process right like at, they'd say at best if you're not using testosterone supplements or steroids you can add about a quarter pound of muscle a week okay so that means like if you're crushing yourself and doing all the right stuff and you can maybe at best gain a quarter pound of muscle a week that's like what that's like what a developing male body can do okay like a male body in the late teens early 20s obviously it's different when you're in your 70s or if you're prepubescent or if you don't lack sure. the testosterone because you're a female um, which is one of the reasons why I think going through puberty as a male makes gives you the edge in athletic competition. But that's well, that's a an episode for another that's day. An episode for another day. So it's interesting though, because because even as you say talking about the Bible, kind of having this positive vision of you know getting through it, part of how you get through it is by having the emotional awareness and lament, right? So I think about the Psalms and how much of the Psalms are giving room and giving space for for grief and for emotional pain and that that actually is part of how you get through. That is part of how you form resilience is not just by stuffing it and sucking it up, but actually by entering into the sufferings of, you know, the fellowship of suffering with Christ as he gets you through it. Yeah. And I'm sure there are folks listening who have been stuck in like an emotional survival mode for a very long time. And I just want them to know like those mechanisms served you for a while but they're not the holistic vision of flourishing and thriving that christ has for you mm. like entering into those emotional depths and spaces is part of what it means to flourish as a human and this is even some of what so i'm going to kind of quote two folks here as i think about uh, a, a therapist who goes to our church named tony when i was talking with him about triggers uh, he would talk about how you need to trace your triggers Meaning your triggers are like uh, bird seed or bird crumbs, and you got to follow them because your triggers are revealing something about you. Your triggers tell you about you; they don't tell you about the world around you. All right, so it's not like I'm triggered, therefore something's wrong in my environment, but it's more so I'm triggered. That's telling me something about me. There's something unhealed or unprocessed or provoked at this point in time that I need to do work on. And you can't always do that right in the moment. Sure, but you're. Tracing your triggers, not fleeing your triggers. We need to lean into them, be curious about them, move towards them, figure out what pushes or what pulls the triggers and then follow that because that's actually what a lot of therapeutic process is, is it's trying to get close to them and be curious about them, explore them and figure out why they're there because my triggers are my triggers. They belong to me. Sure. It's And it's similar in the marriage class. We have Joyce and Marty Lutri who teach that. One of the things we talk about is... Uh, when your spouse is pushing your buttons, you first need to begin by asking, why are these my buttons? Because hmm. yeah. everyone has different buttons, but my buttons are my buttons. They're not your buttons. And the fact that you are pushing them to some degree means, well, I have them. Why are these my buttons? Yeah. And if you begin asking the question, why are these buttons my buttons? Because your buttons are different than my buttons. That actually gives you this responsibility. It gives you this dignity, this agency, this ability to go, I need to do some work to figure out why these buttons are my buttons. Yeah. And then obviously if you have a spouse who's exploiting your buttons, that's a problem. And yeah. I, I was going to say uh, probably a word of warning to people like me who like to push people's buttons, that it is not godly to go 
pop, pop, pop. Well, trace your triggers. What's, why is this bothering you? This shouldn't bother you. If you were tougher, this wouldn't be, you know, like that's not a healthy thing to do. Oh, absolutely. But part of it is I can't make someone not push my buttons. I don't really have any, I can't do that. Like I, I can't live in a world where I'm not triggered. I can't, that's, sure. uh, that's non-feasible. But what I can do is I can go, why are my triggers my triggers? Why are my buttons my buttons? And I can explore them and be curious to them. Sure. Even trust that Christ has authored them to some degree, that yep. he's sovereign over history and he's, he's allowed me to form these various degrees and that's part of my development. And that even that leaning into tension, I do think is part of what even the scriptures talk about is training yourself for godliness. Yeah. You're not, so when you're dealing like with your triggers, sometimes our triggers lead us into sin. I'm triggered and therefore I flip someone off or I'm triggered and therefore I, I don't know, beat someone up or whatever. Yeah. I'm sure there's other ways to trigger. I'm triggered, therefore I drink to excess. I'm sure. triggered, therefore I, et cetera, et cetera. But sometimes, so that would be a form of discipline of like stopping sinful responses to triggers. But having triggers is not sinful. You don't repent of having triggers. You can repent of how you respond to your triggers. But part of your training yourself for godliness is you want to be a non-reactive person who's yeah. emotionally connected to the world but is not would tossed it, to and fro. Would it be fair to say your triggers aren't necessarily sinful? Because they could be. I think the emotional reaction itself is not sinful. I think that you could have connected the dots in a way that's suspicious or you could connect the dots in a way that assumes the worst of people and you could have connected the dots such a way that you're lying to yourself or other people about things and those like as i trace my trigger i might find sin somewhere up there yeah there might be a, a construal or a way of making sense or a way of narrating in events that is sinful there may be beliefs that i'm harboring or attitudes that i have that are sinful but i don't think the emotional reaction itself can be sinful hmm. the emotional reaction itself can reveal sin as I find it and trace it back. Yeah. But I think the being set off by a situation or having my blood pressure spike because I'm feeling controlled. You know, like if I, I talked about this yeah. sermon a couple weeks ago. I was they're taking my blood pressure to the dentist. And it was like 145 over 95. Right. And I was kind of uh, that would be a way of some people say I was triggered. Yeah. My heart was up. My blood pressure was up. I was feeling controlled, manipulated. Right. I don't think having my blood pressure spike is sinful, but I do think this like deep seated resentment of people trying to like control me and all like the stories I was writing about myself about this dentist and his profit motive and yeah. They're out here icing me so they're just grinding me down so when the sale pitch comes later, I'm assuming the worst about them. I'm yeah, you know, I'm lying to myself about them till I can feel morally superior to them. I'm judging them. I'm those things are all sinful. <laughs> but the blood pressure spike itself, the trigger itself, I don't think is sinful. Yeah. So one of the questions I have, so you're more of a dad than I am, twice as <laughs> much no of a dad. I'm no more of a dad. I have more children, yeah. and I've done it for You're long. twice the father that I am, because <laughs> you have four kids and I have two kids. But you've also, I feel like Jay's just about the phase where he's like, I'm parenting him more. And so it's been like maybe about a year of parenting him, but even the parenting is uh, less holistic moral development, and it's more kind of basic mm -hmm. Here's how to be nice to people and what's your name, you know, be, <laughs> being kind to strangers or whatever. But you're doing more kind of broad. So when you're talking about like introducing tension to like people you're a shepherd over or mm -hmm. even your children, what are some like ways that you think about how much tension is too much tension? How much tension is not enough tension? It's kind of like I think about trying to cut paper with scissors or cut string. If you pull the string tight enough, mm. it's easier to cut. Sure. So, so there's some some aspect that tension creates the growth, 
training, overtraining, you your baseball, you know, you can you throw too many pitches, you're actually hurting yourself. You're not you're not building yourself. Sure. How do you how do you discern some of that stuff? Oh man, I don't I mean, clumsily is how I do it. <laughs> you know, I don't know that um and I feel like it's a it's a journey and your the word you used earlier of wisdom is really important because um you can really kind of nail it in a moment and then totally flub it up, you know, in the next moment. And so um, walking with the spirit and trying to be wise. Um, yeah, I mean, Molly and I have real similar parenting instincts. I think that's one of the blessings in our marriage is that we tend to view things in parenting pretty similarly. And we both kind of come from a more of a suck it up kind of a mentality um, a number of years ago, and I think especially kind of through Brene Brown, um, there was, I was helped by realizing like sometimes you just need to get down in the hole with somebody. Like if someone falls in a hole, it's not helpful to stand up there and go like, what's the hole like down there? Um, well, have you thought about getting out of the hole? I you told know? you not getting in that hole. Would you like a sandwich down in the hole? Like sometimes you got to get down in the hole. And so one of the things Molly and I realized, especially as our oldest was kind of entering puberty and teenage stuff changing and uh, all the emotions surrounding that is like, we needed to realize, man, we, there's just times we got to get in the hole here. Um, and then there's times when we got to, we got to push, you know, we, we do something that I don't, I don't know if I know any other parents that make their kids exercise, but we make our kids exercise. And it's kind of something we do as a family and we value as a family. Um, as a side note, I kind of wonder if one of the reasons why there's so many kids dealing with so many different overwhelming emotional issues is the lack of just physical exercise. Right? So I, that's kind of a side thing, I guess. But so we, we make our kids do that. Well, our kids have varying levels of comfort with that and varying levels of what they can do and what they can handle. And so even like you talk about designing the workout when it's like a Saturday morning and we're going to go work out and we design the workout, there's kind of going like, okay, this is going to be too much for this person in the family or for this person in the family or no, they can do that. And so some of it is going like, okay, how... Well, even just the age range on your kids is pretty interesting. <laughs> sure. On on trying to design family activities like that. Yeah, right. When you have a five-year-old and 15-year-old and, you know, it's it's all pretty different. And, and different athletic abilities and different, you know, and um, my wife, you know, we kind of have this thing where, you know, this is how her, her whole family, the Bush family, we call it bushing it, you know, because the whole idea is like, I'm a little out of shape. I think I'll do an Ironman. Right, that's kind of their mentality. So Molly has this like endless limit of make it hard, um, and I'm more on the other end of like, eh, you know, I miss when someone else made it hard for me, but but not that much, you know. Um, so try to navigate that and going, okay, how do we set a workout where it's like difficult enough, but then you're in the workout and it's like someone you don't think is giving good enough effort, and so it's like I've made lots of mistakes and good moments of like going, come on, let's go. You're standing still, work out, go, 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 go. And then there's times when I take it too far or I get mean or I get sarcastic or bitey. And so, um, you know, that's, I don't know, that's kind of a dumb example, but a real life one where it's like, there's that sort of a thing. Or, you know, um, you know, it's been a challenging, the third quarter for, for a number of our kids was just tough at school. And I think everyone I know who's involved with the school is not happy about how it's going. Teachers aren't happy. Administrators aren't happy. Parents, kids, it's just all rough, right? And um, and so you're going like, well, how much do I kind of 
listen to my kid complain about their teachers and go, yeah, you're right, you know, and how much do I go, too bad, let's go. Um, you know, so I actually headed in this corner. We, we just the other day had a conversation with our older kids kind of going, you know what, it's been tough. Fourth quarter, things don't generally get better. They usually get worse. And um, all of us, Molly and I included, really overindulged our complaining about how bad things were. And it didn't help. And so this quarter, we're going to really try to lean into resiliency, even though it's going to be tough. And let's talk about when it's tough, but we're going to really try to not indulge the complaining spirit about it. I think, um, I think that's so really helpful, even using that language of fourth quarter in this season. Hmm. I think that's a big part of it, too, is because most of these metaphors that we're using in scriptures are athletic metaphors, I mean, literally gymnastics, you know, and yeah. but there are on-seasons and off-seasons. There are seasons where you lean in attention a ton and seasons where you let the land rest. And I think that's helpful as well. Yeah, um, I mean, Abby and I were just uh, across the world and recovering from jet lag and sickness, and it's like, you know, you're going to go, let's be... Let's be gracious. <laughs> like, so I think it's kind of like knowing yourself, knowing your kids, knowing what are we going through, knowing how important is this, and all that takes wisdom. Yeah. One thing I would just say as well is the times that I've grown the most in my life are when people created tension for me. They brought me something. They gave me feedback. They told me that I was disappointing them or that I was hurting them or that they saw something in me that didn't see in me. And every time that happens, those conversations start, it's terrible. And I'm thinking, I wish this wasn't happening. Right. Sure. But then over the course of time, usually like within a couple of hours or within a couple of days, I'm really grateful that that person created tension in my life. That person disciplined me. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about my parents disciplining me, but I'm going like this opportunity for correction of training of, hey, let me tell you what I see in you. And it's actually like the people that I end up feeling the most safe around are not the people who give me no negative feedback, mm-hmm. but the people who in love kind of do this like, because it's not pleasant to create pain in other people unless you're a psychopath. Right, sure. Like you shouldn't like that. Yeah, I read, I mean, I think it's Todd Bolsinger in his book, Canoeing the Mountains. He says leadership is about disappointing people at the rate they can handle. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, it's just and, like correcting. But my, what that's doing is going like, okay, I'm going to disappoint people, but at the rate they can handle. Yeah. I think like I think about putting my son in timeout, getting a spanking. If I liked that, right, that's a problem. Sure. I mean, because I love him, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to create instincts in him that sink deep and shape the way he experiences the world and, and rules, right? And so I was thinking about like that in church, at home, in various environments, when people in love do this like kind of risky thing and going because I'm going to deal with my negative emotions that are going to happen when I give you negative emotions. Sure. Right. Cause I have to have emotional pain tolerance to be able to give you a negative emotional reaction because that's going to feel unpleasant for me. And so there's like a grittiness that produces grittiness in others. So I'm willing to do the hard thing so that you can grow. Mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful. That language of emotional pain tolerance I've been using a lot mm-hmm. with, with yeah. folks who are sure. going Hey, we're not going to hit the eject button. We're going to stay in this. And you can hit the eject button a lot of ways by running, by fleeing, by uh, sinning, by putting something in your nose, in your arm, uh, or in your mouth that takes away the pain immediately. And I think we talk about pain tolerance a lot, but that idea of like emotional pain tolerance, how you get it. Well, the only way you get it is by getting it. Like you said earlier, the only way through it is through it. The only way to suffer is to suffer it. 
and trying to have that as a category and at the same time recognize that we're in process and going, when you got to tap out, you got to tap out. And I think that's part of the feedback loop of it all is, you know, you push your, when your kids do more, stop standing around. And then sometimes afterwards it'd be like, ah, oh, you know, you're right, dad. Thanks for giving me the push. Sometimes it'd be like, I can't believe you do that to me. Yeah. More often than not, I'm asking for forgiveness for being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. But, like, but sorry, but, I, but that's I what I, to, I wasn't, I was too hard on you. That's what I'm hearing from you is it's the feedback loop that makes it sustainable. I, yeah. And, and it's in the moment, right? So like, I remember, um, you know, I mean, and I talked to a lot of parents who, when their kid hits about 12, like 85 to 90% of the time they're normal. And the rest of the time they become a crazy person. And we've experienced that in our family. And it's like, you can't, you can't reason with a crazy person <laughs> when they're being crazy. Right. And I'm using crazy in a very not, you know, <laughs> therapeutic way. Right. <laughs> like, but, but it, it is it would to also like, apply in a therapeutic way. Though. Well, I don't know, but I mean, I just think there are times when it's like, this is not the time to deal with this. Like, this is the time to just let, let the words be wind and let the steam blow off and we'll circle back and see what we learned from this. Literally this morning when I was getting Jay up, he, I get him out of his crib and he has his shoes and he wants me to put his red shoes on. Right. I'm like, no, we'll put those on after breakfast. And he just starts bawling. I need my shoes on. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not. Right. Like you're two and a half, whatever. I'll put your shoes on. I go put his shoes on and he wants the right foot on the left foot. And I'm like, that's actually your right shoe. He's like, no, this foot's bigger. That shoe's bigger. And I'm like, I can't. That's, right. di that's different than 15 emotion, 15 year old. Well, right. But there. like, that, that's a really interesting thing. Cause it's like, there are some people who go, well, just let whatever your kid wants, just, just let it do it. I go, well, that's probably not good. And yet if I'm like a Nazi about, no, you, I said you, I said the blue shoes and you want to wear it. Well, you got to wear the blue shoes. Cause I'm the dad and you're the kid. And I, you know, and I got to, it's like, well, that's kind of nuts too. Like, and so again, that's where it's like, it's wisdom. And so I, I just kind of go like, are there spots in my life where tension that is being created around me is, is inviting me to grow? And if it's not, if I'm always in a comfort zone, if things are always kind of the way I can manage it, I'm probably not growing. Right. And at the same time, if, um, if I, if I can never sort of stop, and give myself a break and let myself feel what I'm feeling and take the time to trace the triggers and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's not healthy either. Yeah. I, I think about, so if you're in the military and you're deployed and you're in the trenches and you're running around, you're exercising, right? Like your situation in life is creating the tension for you. You don't sure. need to go create it. Right. Whereas if you are working an IT job and you work from home and online, you should probably join a gym. Right. Because you're not going to exercise unless you create the pattern for us. I think it's probably similar for people who are listening. There's some people who like life is creating their tension. Yeah. You sure. have physical ailments. You have like trauma in your family. You have a whole, like, the life. You're, you don't need to go finding more tension. You have plenty of tension for you. But I'm sure there's other folks who are kind of going, I'm kind of in a plateau. I'm not really growing. If anything, I'm regressing. I'm not. So you've, you've used this example before. You said, ask some people around you, what comes into the room with me when I walk into the room? Mm -hmm. As like a question. Do you have That's any, a scary question. Yeah. But those types of scary questions, I think, are one of the ways that we can in health go, I'm going to go find tension for my own growth. That's not just like I'm going to whip myself for no reason. Are there other like examples or wisdom of places to start that you'd say, here's a good way to go find tension that's going to grow you? 
Um, I think anytime you ask people close to you, hey, what do you see as my strengths and what do you see as my weaknesses? Um, you know, I've heard it said that when someone admits a weakness, it's never new information to the people around them. They already knew. <laughs> they just don't know if you know. Mm. And so that's a scary but simple way is to go, hey, you know, uh, what are some of my weaknesses? What are some of the things that you feel nervous to bring up with me? You know, I mean, th- that's inviting a great deal of, you know, you have to be the kind of person that then someone can tell you without you going, and it's like, well, that's why I don't bring it up, you know, like, so I think, I think there's some of that. Um, you know, I think, uh, to ask someone close to you, what are the moments that you feel like I need to be tougher on myself? And what are the moments you feel like I'm too tough on myself? That's a good one. I think, um, yeah, inviting that kind of insight and feedback from people who know you well. Um, you know, I think that's a, I don't know. That's the stuff off the top of my head. That's helpful. I do think that this idea of triggers, safe spaces, right? It's hard to discern. Yeah. And that's, I think, what we're getting at is it takes wisdom, discernment, community, plurality, process, feedback loops. How safe is too safe? How triggered is too triggered? And I think that's one of the keys. I would say generally speaking, especially if you're like working through as a kind of like a final note, if you're working through like real abusive situations or if you're a person who's has been or is recently in or currently in an abusive situation, you shouldn't be asking how safe is too safe. Just find something safe and sure. work through it. Yep. Um, as a general category, I'd say there's certain people who don't need to worry about how safe is too safe. Just find safe and yeah, we'll work through reintroducing tension later. Uh, but I do hope that we as folks who are listening to this and work, working through this, that we in, are good at leaning into and working through and growing through tension because that's the only way to grow. Yeah, and, and maybe one last thought on my end is I think a ton of how we react to this stuff is shaped by our personality. And it's very easy to attach moral value to your natural reactions when it's just your natural reaction, right? Like the way you're wired is you're going to move toward tension or the way you're wired is you're going to run from tension. And it's like, those aren't inherently more valuable than the other. Um, so I think just to be careful of some of those, you know, moralizing your just personality traits is, uh, anyway, so. Yeah, some people just flinch towards responsibility and some people just flinch towards compassion and yeah, and comfort. And what we're learning is you got to have both those things. Sure. So don't say that one of your flinches is better than the other one. Yeah. Well, thanks. This is, uh, this is interesting. It's fun to be put on the spot there a little bit, but you're welcome. You put we'll me see. on the spot. <laughs> That's so true. I just introduced a little tension. We life. introduced some tension. There you go. See you next time. All right, guys. Later. Hey.